Well, good morning, River Oak Church. My name is Kyle. Thank you. Y'all are awesome. My name is Kyle Toddy. I'm the missions and outreach pastor here. Um, and again, like I said last week, I wanted to just start this morning by thanking you guys again uh, for being a part of, of the ministries here at this church in such a, a unique way. It's awesome to see this body gather around something that we, uh, that we take on as a ministry and to get behind it so fully. Uh, of course, if you weren't here last week, we did over 700 boxes, shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child, delivered those about a week and a half ago, uh, which was incredible, incredible to be a part of, an awesome opportunity to see how God will use those boxes all across the world, but also in our own community. This last week, we gave out <clears throat> a ton of Thanksgiving uh, uh, meals to families in need in the community. And also with our Angel Tree ministry happening right now, we wanna encourage you guys to be a part of that as well. When you go out these doors to the left, on the, on the wall to, to your left, heading out the main doors, uh, there are trees up on the wall. Uh, there's trees everywhere now, obviously, as you can tell but there are wooden trees attached to the wall with tags on them. And they have names on those tags with specific items for an, a specific child in this community uh, from about eight different schools in Chesapeake that we are sponsoring, kids that are at risk or in homeless situations uh, that we can be a part of their lives and just show them just a little bit about God's love for them through serving them uh, at this local, uh, through this local church. So again, thank you for that and being a part of these opportunities. I wanted to take some time uh, before we kind of dug into God's word this morning to fill you guys in on what's happening in Lesotho, Africa. I know many times you don't, you don't hear the stories that we get to uh, see and they get to play out in Lesotho. Uh, you may hear uh, uh, bits and pieces. You may not hear anything about what, what's happening in Lesotho. So we want to do a better job of filling you in on what's going on in Lesotho. So behind me, there will be some pictures scrolling through. And I want to share with you just a couple stories from this last trip uh, that we took a few weeks ago in Lesotho, Africa. This first picture up on the screen if you can see that, that woman to the right in the far right of the picture with a mask on are, I think, believe, I, I think it was our second day in the valley. Uh, this is a, a village that we spend a lot of time in, that there are some believers in this place. We were walking through this village, just trying to catch up with believers. It's been two years since we had been there almost. Uh, we wanted to catch up with believers and uh, come to find out many of the believers in that village had either moved away or their, or their families had moved away or they had moved away uh, as individuals to go and find work somewhere else. There's not much of an economy in the mountains of Lesotho. Uh, so there's no job opportunities. So in order for them to provide for their families, they either have to work the farms and pray that God sends the rain and the crowd grow or they go somewhere else to find work. So we were discouraged for, for about a day, two days uh, in the valley, looking for believers, waiting for God to say, hey, this is what's happened while you've been gone. And all that we saw was everyone had left. So we spent time here in this village. Uh, we were discouraged even at this point, but we had a group together that we could share the gospel with. A couple of these people were believers, um, but many of them were not. The lady on the right, when we shared the gospel with her uh, for, a, for a couple of hours, walking through the scriptures, sharing the hope that we have in Jesus, she raised her hand and said, I wanna be uh, a part of this. I want to follow Jesus. So we walked her through what it means to follow Jesus, that it means, that it means giving your entire life to him, that it means giving up the things that you used to do, that were, you were trying to appease God. It means trusting Jesus for your salvation alone. And when we told her these things from the scripture, she said, well, 
maybe I need to think about this. I don't think this is quite right for me. So we came back the next day. She had a night to think about it and pray about it. We came back the next day and continued sharing truth from God's word. And during that time, as we were sharing um, with tears in her eyes, she said, I'm ready to follow Jesus. So we walked her through what it meant to follow Jesus and what it looks like to put her faith in him. And she uh, dove into uh, following Jesus. So we're excited about what God's going to do in her life. The lady next to her is also a follower of Jesus. The guy next to her, so the guy with his head down, um, his wife is a strong believer and he is not. She had moved to South Africa during the pandemic to find work and has left her family there in the mountains of Lesotho. He will come and listen to us teach, but he has yet to put his faith in Jesus. So please be praying uh, for that family. Uh, You can move on to the next picture. This picture is from a few years ago. Uh, That's Craig's, Craig's, uh, you don't see his bald head except for under his hat uh, there in the picture. About three years ago, we had the opportunity to meet this family. So what you can see is this man on the right-hand side with the black sweatshirt. Um, He, when we walked into this village, there's a long backstory here, but when we walked into this village, uh, he ran up to our truck and said, hey, I need you to come down and pray for somebody. They know why we're there and what we're doing, that we come with the word of God, that we come to pray for people and pray with people. So he said, I need you to come and pray with somebody. We had never taught in this village before because we could never find the chief to ask for permission. Uh, so there was always something that blocked us from going into this village to share the good news of Jesus. So this time, again, we couldn't find the chief but he said, I need you now to come and pray with somebody. So we walked down to his house and the woman sitting down uh, with the red shirt, the blue hat was his wife. She was incredibly ill, could not hardly stand and walk, uh, had a horrible cough uh, to the point where uh, she was as sick as we thought maybe she wasn't going to even survive another week. So we spent time with the family. We shared the truth of God's word with them uh, and spent just time with them, praying with them, um, just hanging out with the family. Uh, and again, w- without much hope and knowing what was going to happen to her, we, we, we gave them just a little bit of money. It cost maybe like $50 to send her to a hospital eight hours away uh, via taxi. So we paid the money to have her sent to the hospital to get checked out. Uh, long story short, she came back without answers. Um, and again, she got worse and worse as the weeks went on. Um, and we came back on this last trip and we walked through this village. We were actually looking for someone else. And we drove in, we started walking around. And this woman who was sitting down came running up the mountain with her hands in the air, praising Jesus that she had been healed. She did not believe in Jesus when we shared the truth of God's word with her and her husband. But she told us when we ran into her that she had put her faith in Jesus, her and her husband, because of the work that God's done in her life. So to reiterate what Pastor Caleb said last week, when we're praying, we need to pray with conviction, knowing that God answers prayers. Because we saw a true miracle happen before our eyes. And years later, we see the fruit that comes of just us being obedient to go and share the good news of Jesus and to pray with and for people. She put her faith in Jesus, her husband as well. Uh, Again, a long story, but her husband was... um, a spiritual leader in the, in the village, uh, leading people down a false uh, road that leads to uh, eternal death. And he has put his faith in Jesus. And now those who follow him are now hearing the truth of God's word. 
This picture and the one that follows go together. So what you can see here in this picture, um, again, God's doing awesome work in the mountains of Lesotho. We're seeing people come to faith. We're seeing God at work in awesome ways. We're seeing people grow in their faith and share their faith with others. But what I want to do is share with you just a little bit of um, the other side of what we face in Lesotho. The picture before, the picture of, um, of us standing at, at this building, when you look inside, you can see all kinds of animal carcasses and all kinds of things happening in this building. This is a witch doctor's shop where the witch doctor in this town sells these things to other witch doctors in different villages uh, for them to make um, black magic or to make some kind of um, potion or some kind of healing, whatever, uh, for them to go and sell to the people in their villages and give them false hope and false security. So these things that are being sold in this shop go directly to giving people false hope without, um, without the truth of God's word. The next picture, we were driving through our valley. Uh, this is the first time I've ever seen this. And we were driving through um, to a village and we saw about 100 people down at the river. And now what you see probably on, on the surface is people getting baptized and we want to celebrate baptism like we did last week. But what you're seeing here in this picture is not a picture of baptism in the name of Jesus. This is a ritualistic uh, experience for those who live in Lesotho um, that their, their spiritual leaders, including the witch doctors, um, will lead them into baptism, into the waters of the river. And what we watched when they were walking down to the river the man in the yellow um, there in the river and the guy in the, in the red, I believe, behind him walked through the water first before anyone else got in. And as they walked through with their staffs, they were smacking the water. Um, and I asked our translator, uh, who is a follower of Jesus, what they were doing. He grew up in this spiritual climate. He said they are actually trying to, uh, they're praying to their, their ancestors that the snakes and the demons would, would exit the water so that they could enter into the water uh, to be baptized. So what you're seeing in this picture is about 100 people gathered around being led to a false hope without Jesus. What they are doing before this, they will go and sacrifice to their ancestors uh, to appease them for their sins and to appease them for um, what the ancestors are asking for. They will make sacrifices. They will go to the Sangoma, the witch doctor, um, to protect them. They will go then into the water to be baptized by their spiritual leaders, the witch doctors and, and um, I guess that, the priest here to be uh, washed of their sins. This is something that every one of them have to go through in order to be a part of the spiritual uh, journey in Lesotho, Africa. So what we see on a regular basis as we bring the gospel, the good news, the light of Jesus, as we walk directly into the darkness and we see this. This is a common story in the life of Lesotho. People being led into a false gospel, into a false hope, hope without the good news of Jesus. So a hundred people here on the, at the river on this day being led into false security where they will leave those waters, then have to go back to the witch doctors in order to be protected again from sickness or from um, God's, uh, 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 be protected from the, um, excuse me, the witch doctor, to be protected from their ancestors, displeasing their ancestors. They live in a constant state of fear. 
we bring the hope and the message of Jesus to tell them about the hope that we have in him and how we don't have to live in fear. So what we see on a regular basis is, is this. We walk into this spiritual darkness and tell them about the truth of Jesus. So just like this first lady in this picture here, when we share the good news of Jesus with her, she immediately wanted to follow him. But then as we walked her through what it meant to follow Jesus, she decided, well, maybe not. Maybe I can't actually stop sacrificing to my ancestors. Maybe I can't actually stop going to the witch doctor for help. So after thinking on it over a, a night and sharing the good news with her again, she decided to put off the old things and to put on Jesus and to trust him for salvation, him alone. So again, thank you guys for praying with us as we go to Lesotho, as we do these things, not only in Lesotho, but in different parts of the world where the spiritual climate is so dark, even as in our own culture, that people need hope more than ever. So thank you for praying with us. Thank you for being a part of what God's doing in this place. Uh, we look forward to seeing what he will continue to do in this valley. Uh, a lot of things happening that we're excited about in this valley uh, where God is opening up doors uh, left and right for the good news of Jesus to be shared uh, even more. People are coming to faith. And again, like I said, we were discouraged at the beginning, but by the end of those two weeks, uh, I left more encouraged than I could have ever imagined. Having seen the state of the church, the true church there in our valley, seeing so many people have left, believers have left the valley, many, have, many of them have told their family and friends about Jesus, they've been added to uh, the number there in the valley of the true church, and they're worshiping Jesus on a regular basis, they're growing in their faith as they hear the word of God preached, and they're walking out their faith with, uh, with true obedience, telling others about Jesus. So again, keep praying for those believers. Pray for us as we go. We look forward to hopefully going here again in about six weeks. Uh, maybe you've seen the news recently, uh, but travel, I think, starting tomorrow from countries like Lesotho, South Africa, uh, Malawi, and a few other countries in Southern Africa um, will cease because of a new COVID variant that they have found in South Africa. Um, so one, be praying for the people there in Southern Africa. This affects us only that we can't travel. It affects them with their entire lives as they lose jobs, they lose opportunities, they have no food to feed their families. So this has a huge impact on them, on them and their economy. Uh, so be praying for them, that God would protect them and be with them and that someone would tell them about Jesus before it's too late. Pray for us as we prepare to go in six weeks, that God would open those doors, um, that he would make it very clear as to what we should do uh, in, in the days to come. Uh, and for Alexa McDowell, uh, Legay and Daryl's daughter and her husband as they had to flee or are trying right now to flee Malawi and head back to Egypt um, because of what's going on. So a lot happening uh, in the last couple of days. So be praying uh, for those people in Southern Africa and for opportunities to share the gospel moving forward. So what I'm gonna do now is we're gonna pray for these specific things and then we will get into the word. God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be a part of the work that you're doing in the world. We look at places like Lesotho, we look at places like Malawi and we think they're so far away, they're difficult to reach. God, would you send people to be a light in those places? God, and then something like this happens. Satan is very, um, very crafty. We know the enemy is good at what he does. And he's trying to stop the good news from spreading in a place like Southern Africa. So God, I pray that you would just continue to make roads for the gospel into the valleys in Lesotho, into Malawi, into places like um, Botswana and Eswatini 
that you would continue to make roads for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus to go, to go through so that people could hear, repent of their sins and believe and trust in, in you alone. God, we lift up these people to you. We lift up these places to you and we ask all of this according to your power and in your name, amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, please go ahead and open them to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter one. This season of life, uh, of course, is, is very busy and I'm sure many of you are extremely tired from this last week. Thought I would get an amen. I guess you're all well rested and ready to go. So we're gonna, we're gonna go for a long time this morning. This season, of course, is busy. It's difficult. Um, a lot of good things ho- hopefully are happening during the season, uh, reconnecting with family and friends, but also a time of heartache for many of us. Um, a, a season of mixed emotions, I'm sure, uh, but also just a season of ex- exhaustion as we uh, run week by week into this uh, holiday season, heading towards Christmas. So what I wanted to do this morning with the little bit of time we have left is lead us into this Christmas series that Pastor Heath will come and, and preach in the, in the weeks to come by getting us to just pause as a church. As Pastor Caleb said last week, I wish that I could just open God's word and come and sit with you and we can look at it together. Because what I wanna do this morning is just have a time where we can pause and think about what's been done for us. As we head into the Christmas season, what we're gonna be looking from the Old Testament at the promises that God had, had given us through the prophets that spoke about Jesus and what he was going to do. So this morning, I pray that we can pause and just take a moment to look and reflect and to, and to dig into God's word um, before Jesus appeared um, that was for us and for uh, the purpose of making him, uh, making him known. So again, as we head into this Christmas uh, season, I'm gonna set the stage for us by walking us through uh, the good news of the gospel in the book of Genesis and the Old Testament as a whole. So 1 John, if you're in 1 John chapter one, we're gonna begin by reading this short passage in the New Testament and then get back into the Old Testament. So in reverence of reading God's word, I would like to invite you guys to stand with me and read 1 John chapter one. Verse one through three. It says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we love you. We ask that in this time that we have together that we could pause, take a moment to take a deep breath, realize that we're here for a reason. God, that we open your word every single week together as a body of believers so that we can see the truth and the promises written to us. I pray that you can still our hearts and our minds in this moment and these next few minutes to just understand what you've done for us as we read your word, as we understand it, that we can take it in and reflect upon what you've done for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you do for us as a church and as individuals. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So let me start by asking you a question. Uh, It's not gonna be a question you have to answer out loud unless you want to. Uh, I would encourage you probably not to because you might get looked at. But 
what is the purpose of the Bible? What's the ultimate goal of scripture? Now, I know there are probably many answers that we can answer this question with. What is the purpose of the Bible? But I want to at least submit to you that there is one overarching purpose, one theme, one, one driving force from all of scripture that leads us to one point. Now, many people will, uh, when you ask that question, will say, well, the Bible is a book of rules for us to follow. And while that may be partially true, that is not the entirety and not the purpose of scripture. While there may be rules that we should follow and that will go well for us in life, it doesn't mean that the Bible is just a book of rules for us to follow. Some people say that the Bible is a guidebook for life, right? It, it leads us in the right direction. And while that also may be true, it is not, does not capture the, the, uh, the heart, the entire um, understanding of what the Bible actually is. While it may lead us in the, right, in the right path, of course, it leads us to a person. So the, the question to the answer, ultimately, what is the purpose of the Bible? Is the purpose of the, of the Bible is to lead us to the feet of Jesus, so that we can see him, understand what he's done for us, repent of our sins and believe. The purpose even of the Old Testament, we're gonna walk through it this morning, hopefully as quickly as possible, as I quickly run out of time. We're going to try to make it through some, some points in the Old Testament that lead us directly to that same conclusion. The entire purpose of the Old Testament is to point us to the feet of Jesus. All of Genesis, all of Exodus, all of the entire Old Testament points us in one direction to this guy who's going to come and do a work that we could not do ourselves, pay the penalty for our sins so that we can have eternal life. So the purpose of the Bible, I will submit to you, I believe, is to point us to Jesus. I've been leading a, um, a class on Wednesday nights. Uh, it's been awesome this semester to lead this uh, class through the Old Testament. And what we have discovered as a group, as we walk through the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, is that it literally, all of it points us to the Messiah. All of it points us to what he is going to do for us and what we, uh, what we have done, what God is gonna do for us through his son. There's gonna be a picture on the screen here. And what I wanna do is illustrate uh, a point. We only have intimate knowledge of something by spending time with it, right? Or by experiencing it. So to know something means you have to experience it or to spend a considerable, a considerable amount of time with it. So the same with our walk with Christ, right? The same with our walk with, with God. That the more time we spend in his word, the more time we spend in prayer, the more intimate of a relationship we have with him. This picture, again, is a picture of us. Just don't mind the ugly people at the bottom. It's a picture of our valley in Lesotho. And of course, the picture is nice and it is beautiful. But what I will tell you is that picture does not do justice, right? Who here has been to the Grand Canyon or somewhere where you take pictures and you look at it and go, ah, that kind of falls flat of what actually I saw. What this picture does is gives you an idea of what it looks like in our valley, but what it cannot capture is, the, is the, uh, the beauty of the image. It can't capture the sounds and the smells and everything that we saw with our eyes. An image is just a poor reflection of the real thing. So the same thing with our walk with Christ. If we're not spending time with him, if we're not actually there to experience what he's doing in our lives, if we're not actually reading his word, all we have is just a poor reflection of the real thing. So what I wanna do this morning as we, as we get into the word is tell you, for those of you who have, who have a relationship with Jesus, 
If you're not spending time with him in his word, if you're not spending time in prayer, then all that you're gonna have is just a small glimpse of what you can actually have in Jesus. Right, if you follow Jesus, then of course you have eternal life and that is secure. We have hope that is only found in him. But as a walk in a relationship with Jesus, if you're only spending little bits of time here and there with him, then your relationship with him will not grow. You will not experience the full thing that he intended for us to experience. For those of you in this place, maybe you don't have a walk with Jesus. Maybe you're coming week by week and you're seeking to know what we believe. My prayer for you is that as you come and you hear the word of God preached, that you will hear truth and God will speak to you through it. The more time that you spend in this, I believe the more time that he will have time to speak to your heart. So we're gonna flip back to the book of Genesis. Are you ready? In a very short amount of time, I hope you are ready for what's going to happen. Go back to Genesis chapter three. So Genesis chapter three, if you have your Bibles, it's not gonna be on the screen, I apologize. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis three. If you have your phone, get, go ahead and flip over, uh, scroll over to Genesis three as well. Pastor Heath is gonna walk us through this, I believe in detail here in the coming weeks. But Genesis chapter three, verse 15, I know you've heard us say this before. Genesis three fifteen, I believe is the most important verse in the Old Testament. So what you have in the book of Genesis, chapter one and chapter two, is God creates all things, right? God creates the heavens and the earth. He puts everything in it. Then he creates man and woman to worship and to glorify him, right? And then in just, just one chapter, after he creates them, the whole thing falls apart, right? He says, hey, just don't, don't do this one thing and all will go well for you. And what do they do? The enemy comes, lies and deceives as he, as he does to us today, lies and deceives Adam, uh, lies to and deceives Adam and Eve. They believe him and they eat of the tree they're not supposed to eat of. And the whole thing unravels and falls apart. So what we have in chapter three is when God speaks to Adam and Eve after the fall, he says this to, um, to the serpent actually in Genesis 3:15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So what we have at the very beginning of the Bible is a promise to woman and to the enemy that one, the seed from woman is going to come and crush the head of the serpent, right? This one from woman is going to come and do the thing that we could not do. He's going to crush the enemy and restore hope to mankind. So from Genesis three, what we're doing throughout the whole entire Old Testament is looking for this seed. Who is this guy? So if you've ever read a book, um, if you haven't, don't raise your hand, but if you've ever read a novel, you watched a movie, maybe uh, most movies and books go this way, uh, fictional uh, stories, they'll lead you into uh, um, a plot, right? The first chapter or the first few minutes of the movie will set the stage for you, will kind of introduce characters and will then, um, there will present a problem. The rest of the entire movie or the book is to solve that problem, right? We're learning more details about what's going on about each character, about the problem, uh, the plot thickens, right? It gets deeper and deeper until there's a solution. Scripture is written in much the same way where there is beauty at the beginning and all of a sudden it falls apart because of what we've done, right? Because of what man and woman did, disobeying God, it all falls apart. So then God says, hey, one day I'm gonna come back for you. Seed, one, one seed, this guy from the woman is gonna come and restore all that was, was right in the world, right? So now what we're doing in the rest of the Old Testament is waiting for this guy to show up. Who he's gonna be, what's he gonna do, when's he gonna come, what's he gonna look like? All of the Old Testament is written to point us to this person. 
So what happens in Genesis 5, we have, um, if you've ever read Genesis, you're probably thinking this book is somewhat boring. Uh, It is somewhat boring because there's a lot of names and they're hard to pronounce. But if you get past the names and you read the stories, it is truly a fascinating book. Anyone who says the Bible is boring uh, has obviously not read it. It is full of incredible stories and details. So in Genesis 5, what we have is the genealogy of Adam. Adam, from Adam and Eve comes Cain and Abel, right? Do you know what happens to Cain and Abel? Cain kills his brother Abel. So the first sibling pair in human history, one kills the other. So Abel is not the seed because he's, he's dead. And Cain is a murderer, right? So now he's not the seed. So we're waiting for, well, who is this seed going to be? Who is this guy coming from woman? So in Genesis 5, we have, this is the genealogy of Adam. And it walks us through and it says, Adam was the father of Seth. Now, Seth was given to Adam and Eve after Cain and Abel. And it says that Adam and Eve had many other sons and daughters that we don't care about in the story. All we care about is this one guy, Seth. From Seth comes, I think, this guy named, I have it written down somewhere, Enosh, right? So again, I'm not going to walk through these names. Most of them are hard to pronounce. But Seth has this guy, Enosh. He had many other sons and daughters. We don't care about who they are. All we care about is this one guy, right? As we're tracking the seed through the book of Genesis, we're looking for who is he going to be and when is he going to show up? So from Enosh comes a bunch of other people and on down the line till you get to this guy, Noah. In chapter six of Genesis, you know, probably know the story of the flood, It says in chapter six that God had grieved making a man and woman, that their heart was so wicked and the evil that he had grieved even making them in the first place. But Noah found favor in God's eyes, right? Noah was a righteous man in his age and it walks us through the story of Noah. And then the story of the flood plays out. Noah and his three sons and all of their wives get off the boat safely. And then something plays out. Noah has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Without giving you the details of the story, you can go read it later in chapter six and seven and eight, I believe. Um, We see that one of these sons from Noah is chosen to continue to carry the seed, the line of the seed, right? I think it's this guy, Shem, from Noah. The story plays out that Ham does something to his father and then Ham is cursed. Shem is the guy that we're looking at. So then we have this genealogy of this guy, Shem. Now from Shem comes this guy, Terah. So Terah might not mean that much to you, but Terah is the father of Abram. Terah had, I think, three sons, Abram and two others. And as we're reading the story, again, as you're thinking through from Genesis 3, who is the seed to come? You get to Genesis 11 and 12. And what you see is God picking this person for a, for a purpose. So Terah has three sons. Then it says, Abram, his wife, Sarah or Sarai could not have kids. She was barren. So in your mind, you're thinking as you're reading, looking through, who is the seed to come? Who is he coming through? Well, you automatically cross out Abram. It can't be him. But in just a few verses, God speaks to Abram and says, hey, you're going to have a kid one day. And Abram and Sarah are like, that's not possible. One, we're incredibly old. And two, I can't even have kids, right? So God says, through you and through your line, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So God gives Abram this promise, Abraham and Sarah. 
And without giving too much details of that story as well, um, Abraham and Sarah try in their own power to have kids. Uh, so Abraham sleeps with uh, Sarah's handmaiden and has this kid, Ishmael. God says, no, that's not the guy, right? I told you, just wait, be patient, and I will do something that won't make sense to you, but it will be supernatural and it is the promised child that I'm giving you. So he has Ishmael, and then in their old age, God gives them a son named Isaac. Now from Isaac, again, getting through all these details as quickly as possible, from Isaac comes Jacob and Esau. If you know the story, Jacob becomes Israel, who becomes the nation, the father of the nation of Israel. So from Abraham, we have this promise that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through the line of Abraham. We're looking for the seed to come. He's coming through the line of Abraham. We get down to Isaac, uh, who becomes Israel, and his 12 sons. As we walk through the rest of the book of Genesis, all the way through, again, there's a ton of details and a lot of, a lot of stories and a lot happening uh, all at one time we find out that God has chosen the fourth son in line uh, from Jacob. His name is Judah. Judah is not a nice guy. He was actually pretty disgusting. In chapter 38 of Genesis, you can go and read it, is an incredible and disgusting story that plays out. But what you see in this guy, Judah, is for the first time, someone repenting of their sins this, this quality of, um, of, of, of forgiveness and this quality of repentance. So God uses Judah to bring the seed that he promised in chapter three. So what we find out in Genesis 49, as you walk all the way through, as Israel or Jacob is about to pass away, he pronounces blessings and, and, uh, or pronounces things on his sons. And the first three sons, he says, hey, you weren't chosen for these reasons. Then he looks at Judah and tells Judah, your, your brothers will bow down to you. A king will come from your line. He will be like a lion. He will carry a scepter, a king's staff, and he will defeat his enemies. So from the line of Judah, we know this guy is coming. This guy that we've, we've been waiting for as we read the story, the seed to come, we know is coming through the line of Judah. Now, again, there's a lot of details that play out. Exodus uh, comes along and God, this, this, uh, this nation of Israel is formed. There are millions of people strong. They're in slavery in Egypt. God delivers them out of slavery to be their own people and says, promises to give them this land. This long story plays out till we get to Deuteronomy. We find out in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter four and five, that God looks at Israel and says, if you just obey me and, and listen to my commands and all will go right for you. But if you disobey me, then things will go poorly for you. And then we find out in chapter five of Deuteronomy that we know what's gonna happen. God says, you're going to disobey me. You're going to enter into the land that I promised you. You're gonna disobey me. You're gonna worship false gods. You're gonna, you're gonna put me to the side and all the curses that are written in this book will fall upon you. Same thing plays out in Deuteronomy chapter 29. The same thing is said, look, if you go in this land and obey me, things will go well. If you disobey me, things will go poorly. God says, you're gonna disobey me because your heart is not right. You're gonna worship other gods and I'm gonna drive you out from that land. I'm gonna scatter you into the nations that surround you where you will be until I come back. So what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, he says, there's, there's this plan that I have. He says, the secret things belong to me, but the things revealed belong to you. If you just do what I've commanded you to do, things will go well, but I have a plan. I know you're not going to obey me. I know things are going to go poorly. You're gonna be scattered about in the nations that surround and be slaves again in those places, but I have a plan. 
And that plan is to bring the one that we know from Genesis 3 is going to come to bring the seed from the woman that's gonna restore all things. So digging through, uh, skipping a lot, obviously through the entire Old Testament, you get to, in the Hebrew order of the Old Testament, comes the book of Chronicles at the very end of the Old Testament. Our English translations are ordered a little bit differently, but in the Hebrew order, the book of Chronicles ends the Old Testament. The book of Chronicles is a story of the life of the tribe of Judah. So as the prophets are seeking to understand what's going on with this seed to come, we come to the book of Chronicles, the very end of the Old Testament, and we hone our focus in on the tribe of Judah because we are waiting for the one, this lion, this king from the tribe of Judah to come and to make things right. So the end of the Old Testament ends with a look, a focus on this, this tribe of Judah, When is this guy coming? What's he going to do? What's he going to look like? What will his name be? Flip all the way over to the book of Matthew. The New Testament picks up on this very well. So just as Genesis was just a bunch of genealogies, a bunch of lines of names, we know why those genealogies were written to us in the first place. Because from Genesis 3, we're waiting on the seed to show up and to do this work, to defeat the enemy and to restore hope to mankind. So all throughout Genesis, we have these genealogies as we track the line of this seed. We get into the rest of the Old Testament, to the end of the Old Testament in Chronicles, where it points us to uh, or narrows our focus in on the tribe of Judah, waiting for him to show up. And the very beginning of the New Testament begins with a genealogy. Matthew chapter one begins with, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it walks us through the entire line of Jesus. So the entire Old Testament was written to point our, our, our focus into one direction, waiting for this seed to show up and make things right. And the beginning of the New Testament says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we know the entire Old Testament is written for our benefit. If you want to flip over to the book of 1 Peter as we close, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter makes it very clear as he's talking about salvation and what we have in Jesus. In chapter one, 1 Peter chapter one, verse 10 through 12, he makes it very clear what was happening in the Old Testament. He says, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And the things which have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Did you catch what was just said by Peter? He says, all the prophets who prophesied long ago were prophesying about this Messiah, this seed, this one who would come from woman and restore hope to mankind. The prophets prophesied about him. If you go back and read Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, um, any uh, any of the old prophets in the Old Testament, they all prophesied about what was to come. The seed that was gonna come, what he was going to do. So Peter says, all of these prophets prophesied for your benefit. They didn't know what he was going to do and what he was going to look like, but they were trying as best they could. They spent their lives seeking exactly what was going to happen and looking into it, knowing that they were not serving themselves, but you, us here today in this place. 
And it even says things into which angels long to look. So even the angels don't experience what we've experienced in Christ. As we, as man and woman, have fallen out of God's grace, God said, there's nothing you can do to, to earn my favor, so I have to come and do something for you. So what we do in, Christ, in this Christmas season, as we prepare for what's to come in the weeks to follow, as we look at Jesus, we look at what God has done for us. And as Peter said, the prophets prophesied about this day. The angels long to look into what we've experienced because we could not do anything on our own to return to God. So God had to come to us in the form of man to be beaten and crucified, buried, and then raised again for our sake. Look at verse 13 as we close. Peter says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit and fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. So as we close, just a few points. Because we know who we are in, in Christ, because all of the entire Old Testament was written to point us to Jesus, because if you have faith in him, you know where your eternal life is secured. You know where your hope is found. Because of these things, Peter writes, prepare your minds for action. How do we prepare our minds other than by spending time in God's word? by praying, by spending time with the one who has saved us. We prepare our minds by spending time with him. And the action he's called us to is to make disciples, right? He's called us to tell others about the hope we have in him and to make disciples. Then he says, keep sober in spirit. Uh, I actually think in Greek, it just says keep sober. So whether or not you wanna read that as don't drink too much or keep sober in spirit is up to you. But what his point here is keep sober, right? Keep your mind right. So how do we keep sober in this day and age? How do we keep sober in spirit? Well, you keep sober uh, physically, but not drinking too much, right? We keep sober in spirit by not consuming too much of what the world throws at us. We know that everything the world tries to shove down our throat is from the enemy and is not from God. Everything the world has to offer is not what God wants for us. So everything the world throws at us, what Peter is saying is keep sober. Don't consume too much of what the world is giving you. Make sure you can decipher what God wants for your life and what the enemy is trying to do in your life through what the world is throwing at you. And lastly, he says, fix your hope on Jesus. Fix your hope, fix your attention on the hope that we have in Jesus and the grace that will be revealed to us one day the entire Old Testament. Everything that was written that the prophets wrote points us in a direction. And that direction is directly pointed at Jesus. All that is written is for our sakes. So that those who can read this and understand it, those who will read and spend time with it and see that their sin has cut them off from a holy God, there's nothing they can do to return back to a holy God. So God had to do something for us. Those who can see that message through the word of God and repent and believe will have eternal life. It was all written for our sakes. So as we head into this Christmas season, let's continue to pause and reflect on what God has done for us. As you spend time in his word, as you spend time seeking his face, as you spend time in the promises and the truth that he's given us, I pray that even in the next few weeks as we head into Christmas season, that you can spend time to pause and reflect and to think about the truth that's been given to us, the promises that God has given us and what he's done for us. 
So as we, in the next few weeks, continue to read God's word together, we're gonna see more and more about what he's done for us, more and more about the prophecies that have been fulfilled in Jesus. I pray that your spirit remains calm, that your mind remains clear so that we can be about the work that God has called us to do. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for, again, the opportunity that you give us to be in this place, to read your word, to understand it, to see the truth that is written in it. I pray that you calm our hearts and our minds over these next few weeks. With a lot happening with family coming into town or as we travel uh, with this new COVID variant that apparently is coming our way. With so much fear that the enemy is trying to throw in our face and shove down our throats, so much from the world that tells us that, is, that we are not enough, that, 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 uh, that um, what God offers, what you offer us is not enough. I pray that you can keep our minds sober. Help us fix our attention on your promises and help us see Jesus at every turn. As we read your word, as we spend time in a relationship with you, that the thing that seems so distant becomes so close and clear as we experience it, as we know it firsthand. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. We ask all of this in his name. Amen. You guys are dismissed.